listening to CoatsCast, a podcast from the Center for Oral History and Digital Storytelling at Concordia University. Vous écoutez CoatsCast, un podcast du Centre d'Histoire orale et de récits numérisés à l'Université Concordia. Welcome to a special episode of CoatsCast. I'm your host, Sadie, and in this episode, we will offer snippets of audio from the Oral History Association's annual meeting. Concordia University and Coates were lucky enough to host the annual meeting from October 10th to 14th, 2018. There were so many amazing presentations, exhibitions, and people around, so we thought that we could offer a snippet of the events to our listeners. And we have an announcement. Coatscast will be back for a second season. Once again, we will be profiling the amazing scholars, artists, and community activists who are engaging with oral history here in Montreal and beyond. The first few segments are interviews I did at the book launch of Beyond Women's Words, an anthology on feminisms and oral history. There were a lot of amazing people at the launch, and I snuck away to speak with a few of them. I also managed to capture some audio from a performance at the event. Come Wash With Us, Seeking Home in Story, was presented by the Tash Collective. I'm Lynn Abrams, and I'm an oral historian and a gender historian, and um, I'm at the University of Glasgow in the UK. Oh, great. And uh, you contributed to the volume. I did. It's been a long story. Um, I was a participant at the original panel at the Big Burks at Toronto that Frank organised. Um, I've been a, a friend and colleague, well not so much a colleague, but I've been a friend of Frank's for a long time mm-hmm. and uh, it was just a delight to take part in that panel because um, I've been practicing oral history for quite a long time. I've written a book about oral history theory mm-hmm. and um, women's words was always a real influence on my work so it was really exciting to be part of that panel and then subsequently to, to be able to participate in the book as well. And uh, what are you working on right now? Oh, well, um, lots of things, as ever. Um, My big and ongoing project is on post-war womanhood in Britain, mainly, Um, looking at the generation of women who were born in the 1940s, who grew up in the 50s and 60s and 70s, um, and what their experiences were and how they developed as a new new kind of women in that post-war era. And my contribution to that volume... Um, is about what happens when you ask that generation of women about feminism. (laughs) Sounds very interesting. (laughs) And what happens when you ask them about feminism after um, a long interview in which they've told you lots and lots of things about their lives and have told you very sort of autonomous, self-determining stories is that often they experience a degree of discomposure because they're not quite sure... They weren't quite sure what I was asking them about. Um, And I think that was perfectly legitimate, actually, because I think it was a very difficult question. Um, And so it made me think quite a lot about my practice. So part of that chapter in Beyond Women's Words is is a little bit of critical self-reflection about my oral history practice. Yeah. And what were some of the conclusions that you came to? Well, um, I think ultimately... 
actually it was it was a useful and interesting question to ask it, it sometimes made my interviews a little bit discomforted but it brought home to me that um, I needed to be clearer about um, how I understood and how I how I define feminism I think um, but also there discomfiture, their discomposure was ultimately productive for me. It might not have been so productive actually for them, but it was certainly productive for me because it certainly made me think um, more critically about about what feminism is. And, and I was on a panel this morning and I was thinking about it as I was giving the paper actually, um, as one does sometimes. Um, and I think what we need to do ultimately is write a history of feminism that's got women in it, rather than a history of feminism that's just got feminists in it. And where can people see your latest work? <laughs> I've hopefully got an article coming out in cultural and social history, probably next year. Um, there's obviously the chapter in Beyond Women's Words, and also on this project on post-war womanhood, there's, I think, quite a nice piece in social history of a couple of years ago. I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto. Mm -hmm. I study public political history of Tamil Nadu in southern India. Um, but I'm also a queer feminist activist and lawyer and theatre practitioner based in different places in South Asia. Um, and I do oral history in different capacities in the different works that I work that I'm involved in so yeah cool. and uh, can you tell me a bit about your current work mm -hmm. um, so this particular work uh, which is a few years old now um, is to document women's movement histories from the 1970s period and it was done in four different places in the country um, so it was Delhi Bombay uh, Tamil Nadu and uh, Hyderabad, which is a city in the south. So four different areas of the country and it was about 30 interviews. And the way that the people were kind of selected is the wrong word, it kind of flowed from each other, was to kind of look, up, look for people who have been a significant influence in feminist thinking and practice in the country, but who are part of different kinds of political movements and spaces. And for the 70s, that's not hard to do because everyone who was doing feminist thinking or work um, was also based in movements to do with civil and democratic rights, also based in anti-caste movements, uh, labor struggles, etc. Mm -hmm. um, so it was 30 interviews of people emerging out of very different spaces that were available at that time as far as progressive movements went. And it's also the period before there was a clear articulation of an autonomous women's movement, it's called in India, and autonomous from political parties, autonomous from other movements working for social change, um, or groups working for social change that are focused on other issues. But this didn't mean they all stopped doing that work. They started having conferences in other spaces that was specifically called autonomous women's movement conferences mm -hmm. but that was only after the 80s so I wanted to I wanted to document the period before that and which is also kind of the beginning of some of the articulations of feminist thinking for our context in India 
um, like things that we now kind of say as a matter of course, like around violence against women, for example, like to kind of think about how they were initially thought about by people um, in this earlier period. So that was the that was the intention. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and why did you choose oral history? Or why was that important for you? Mm. Um, I think there's a couple of different things. There are a lot of textual sources already. Um, maybe not specifically. So within the 30 interview people who were interviewed, some are well documented. They've been written about, they've written themselves, and others not at all, um, and some sort of here and there. But I think the thing with the oral, the intention with oral history in this particular project was, um, apart from the usual stuff of the registers that become available when people are narrating history in speech, um, how we are able to capture the affective, deeply kind of emotional affective connections that people have to the histories they're talking about in the silences and the spaces in between speech, etc., uh, which oral historians have been thinking and writing about now for a while. But for this particular project, I think one of the reasons to choose the oral history method was that it was as much about documenting history as it was about it being a conversation between me as a later generation feminist activist who comes in their lineage, so to speak, to make sense of where feminism stands in India right now by having conversations with my foremothers, right? Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of the interview recording is also, I mean, there's a lot of them just speaking open-ended questions and then I have no control over what's happening, which is how it should be. Um, but there's also these interjections, right, where I will come in with specific questions about things that are central to my feminist activism and try and find histories of that with them and also like to recognize the differences verbally to just kind of talk about how for, that for my generation you need to state that issues are connected and how for them that was not they would be like there was magic in the air like women wanted to be in public to talk about labor rights basically you know and that was their normal and then I would then converse with them about how that had changed over time or I would talk about body and sexuality, right? And to be like, where was that at that time? And then they would kind of break down these assumptions that I would have. And I would find out about these incredible kind of stories of like feminist explorations of the self and things, which I never would have associated with that generation of feminism. But they were doing it in their own sort of little spaces. So I think for this project, it was intended to be a conversation, a cross-generational feminist conversation to make sense of our sort of shared movement, you know? So, yeah. Um, my name's Kira James Anderson. Um, I am a soon-to-be PhD graduate. Um, my research is on kind of representation of sexual violence in activist communities from like both historically and more contemporary. Um, so what a lot of my research has looked at is a radical environmental organization called Cascadia Forest Defenders, 
Um, and 15 years ago, there was a big push to kind of confront sexual violence in the organization. And after a lot of upheaval, like really take a zero tolerance approach. So my research has explored that. I've been doing a lot of oral history interviews on that. I think what the next stage for the project is really looking at how that was happening in a very white feminist lens that really wasn't inclusive of trans women, people of color, really wasn't looking at how sexual violence is connected to white supremacy and cellar colonial projects. Um, so I think that's the next step for the project, is going back, doing some more interviews, trying to get interviews with people of color and indigenous people who were around at that time and you know, may or may not have been involved in the organization for a variety of reasons. Sounds really cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, and why was oral history important for your work? Um, because it was the only way to capture the experiences of survivors in the movement. A lot of the media that has come out about that period of time has been focused on state repression and kind of macro political activism and really just either ignored or it mischaracterized a lot of the conflicts that were happening around sexual violence um, and anti-oppression work. So, you know, that history, unless you lived through it, was, or you know where to look online for specific articles, had been completely erased. Um, so there's no way I could have captured that history without going back and doing oral history interviews, you know, with survivors who confronted perpetrators in the movement, um, with people who were associated with that, whose experiences had been kind of silenced. Where can people find your work? Um, they can... An article by me just came out in Frontiers, a journal of women's studies. Mm -hmm. um, so they can look it up there. I think if they Google Kira J. Anderson, that article comes up, as well as my academia.edu profile. My website is kiraanderson.com, so there's also links to my work there. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Codescast. Codescast is produced by me, Sadie Couture, with Meva Thibault. Original idea by Marie-Anne Gagnon, supervised by Stéphane Martelli. Original music for Codescast is composed by Jacob Lassard.